0: We are going to carry on this morning in our study through the book of Daniel. We looked at the first 23 verses last week. Uh, We're going to pick up in a short while in verse 24. Before we do that, uh, I want to take you through um, something that I think is just utterly incredible. And of course, there are many that would doubt the authority of Scripture. They will deny that the prophecies in Scripture are real uh, well, I'm going to show you something that I think just blows all of those uh, ideas and theories and opinions out of the water. Um, we're looking this morning at Daniel's 70 weeks. That's the prophecy we're going to get onto in a moment. And we looked at the introduction to that last week, as I said. But I want to just take you through something, um, as I said, that I really think is is mind-blowing. There's no other really way of putting it. Now, last week we looked at this whole situation of the period that Israel spent in captivity in Babylon. Now, the city of Jerusalem uh, became under siege by Nebuchadnezzar and finally fell to Nebuchadnezzar in 606 BC. So just over 600 years before Jesus came city of Jerusalem fell, and Daniel and his friends were taken away to Babylon. And that started a period that we refer to as the servitude of the nation. Okay, it was a period of 70 years. Now, we talked about this a little bit last time. It was 70 years to the day. And it terminates with a decree by this Persian king, King Cyrus, who comes to the fore and uh, subdues Babylon and many other nations in the area. And uh, becomes this the head of this incredible Medo-Persian Empire. And that period, as I say, of servitude of the nation comes to an end in 537 BC, concluding that 70 years that God had foretold in the book of Jeremiah that would apply to the nation itself. However... Daniel, as he's going through and we read chapter nine, is confused because if you do the maths, you realize that 537 BC was the year that King Cyrus allows the Jews to return home. So it's the same year that Daniel is looking at this stuff, that the decree was given, that the Jews return home, that this 70 year period ends. So Daniel's confused because the people have gone home and yet Jerusalem is still laying in ruins. And so he sets his heart to understand and to seek and reads in Jeremiah that there's an additional period of 70 years, not just for the people, but specifically for the nation or for the for the city of Jerusalem and the the land itself so it's 19 years after the first siege we get to the third siege and the second siege Ezekiel is taken away in 597 but in 587 BC we have the third siege Zedekiah was the king in Jerusalem at the time and he'd rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar so finally Nebuchadnezzar comes against him and there's lots of this in scripture lots of details and the dates are given and so on Uh, So that third siege triggers another period of 70 years. And it's as Daniel is reading, and this is what's recorded in the first part of chapter nine. He understands by what was written by Jeremiah that 70 years must be accomplished in the desolations of Jerusalem. So this isn't the first 70 years. This is the second period of 70 years. Now, again, we know from history. That, that was fulfilled that 70 year period to the day by the decree given by another a later Persian king by Darius the Great in 518 BC so these are incredible prophecies but of course somebody could try and claim that these were written after the event and that's why they're so accurate and of course many critics have tried to do that I mean those things are fairly easily debunked when you start to look at the details but let's just put that aside for a second as we're saying this is the point that jeremiah's reading is jeremiah 25 verse 11 and 12 but i want to just take your attention to a prophecy that we have in the book of ezekiel now ezekiel during this period of time has already been taken to babylon and he gives us a prophecy uh, a mathematical prophecy specifically concerning the judgment of the nation itself let me read this to you from ezekiel chapter 4 Thou also son of man take thee a tile and lay before thee and portray upon it a city even Jerusalem. He's God tells him to make a model, a little model city of, of Jerusalem and lay siege against it and build a, and cast a mound against it and set a camp also against it and set battering rams against it round about. Uh, maybe the, the ladies can't relate to this, but I'm sure the boys amongst us, as we were kids, we played with toy soldiers and things and you kind of have these little uh, war scenarios with your soldiers. Well, that's kind of the, the idea here that Ezekiel's depicting this kind of creating a battle scene uh, and making this little model. Verse 3 carries on. Moreover, uh, take thou unto thee an iron pan and set it for a wall of iron uh, between thee and the inner city and set thy face against it. And bear in mind, the people of Jerusalem are walking past Ezekiel going, well, what on earth are you doing? As they see him kind of acting this thing out. Um, so he's put this pan between him and it shall be besieged and thou shalt lay a siege against it. There shall be a sign to the house of Israel. So God says, I want this to be an object lesson. The people are going to walk past you. They're going to see you doing this thing on the ground outside the city. And they're going to suddenly say, well, hang on, what does this mean? And then he's told specifically in verse four, lay thou upon thy left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it according to the number of days that thou shalt lay upon it. Thou shall bear their iniquity. So this is referring to the sin of the people that Ezekiel is going to do something to act out what God was trying to communicate to the people. And he says, for I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity. So this is something that God is saying that this little play that is being played out by Ezekiel is to show the the time of judgment that God was to bring upon Israel. According to the number of days, and we're told 390 days, that's the first bit of maths we've got, uh, so shall thou bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on thy right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah, 40 days and I've appointed the each day for a year so for every one of these days that Ezekiel's acting out this thing that each day is going to account for a year in terms of prophecy that God is saying he's going to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel okay so we have a total of 430 years if we had those two numbers together that's decreed against the nation now we know that 70 years of that are accounted for in Babylon okay but that leaves us with 360 years of judgment that according to this prophecy was decreed against Israel but that was unaccounted for and you can search scripture you'll not find anywhere else where this is played out however if we turn to the book of Leviticus we read something really very very interesting indeed In the book of Leviticus in chapter 26, uh, God says this, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if you shall despise my statutes or if your soul abhor my judgment so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will appoint over you terror, consumption, the burning argue. I don't know what that is. don't really want to know either. That shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. Notice what it says. But if you will not hearken, God is saying that he's going to bring judgment upon them. But if they will not hearken, this is going to be a follow up to that initial judgment. You shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you and you shall be slain before your enemies. They shall hate you, reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you and then again verse 18 and this is the key and if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me so after god has brought judgment upon them if you will not after that listen to god and be obedient it says then god says then i will then okay i will punish you seven times more for your sins God is very specific and actually four times in chapter 26 of Leviticus, God reiterates this message. When God reiterates something, we should take note because he's trying to make a point that we should be listening to and taking note. Okay, so seven times in this chapter, God says he's going to multiply their judgment by seven times. If after the first period of judgment, they are disobedient. So we know we have that 70 years in Babylon. We know that we had that 360 years, as we said, according to Ezekiel's prophecy, that were unaccounted for. We also know that after returning from Babylon, Israel didn't learn the lessons and they continued to be disobedient to God. They didn't hearken unto him. So if we do what Leviticus 26 tells us and apply seven times more judgment uh, to this whole situation, we have a really interesting situation. Okay, now if we multiply the remaining 360 years of this prophecy by seven, we actually get a potential 907,200 days. And that would give us the remainder of the prophecy of Ezekiel Multiplied by seven. So 907,200 days will be fulfilled. Now, if we go from 587 BC, that's the first, sorry, the third siege begins the desolations of Jerusalem. And we count forward that 25,200 days or 70 years that they spent in Babylon. As we've already said, the desolation of Jerusalem, it comes to the decree of Darius in 518 BC. Haggai actually gives us the specific date in Haggai chapter 2, verse 18 now what happens if we apply that remainder uh, the 300 sorry the uh, 360 years by seven we end up with 907,200 days or if you want to put it in years it's uh, 2,520 years That, according to ezekiel combined with leviticus would be meted upon israel and particularly the city of jerusalem if they didn't obey which we know they didn't so we apply this where does that take us to well Staggeringly, that takes us exactly to the 7th of June 1967 when Jerusalem was restored to the Jews. The whole prophecy is in regard to the city of Jerusalem. Okay, the desolation of Jerusalem, the first 70 years accounted for in Babylon, but we apply that remaining period, and it just so happens to be fulfilled on the very day that Israel became or Israel recaptured Jerusalem and was restored to them. It's stunning. Now, I'm sure you're aware, the 19 years prior to the restoration of Jerusalem, there was, of course, the restoration of the nation on 14th of May, 1948. Now, just out of curiosity, what would happen if we applied that same period of time that Ezekiel and Leviticus combined would give us, that 907,200 days? If we applied that to 1948, the 14th of May, well, that would take us back to 537 BC and the decree of Cyrus which is when he allowed the Jews to return home which of course terminated that servitude of the nation which began in 606 BC both of these dates 606 regarding the nation and then 587 regarding the city of Jerusalem have this incredible model laid out 70 years in Babylon and then Ezekiel and Leviticus prophecy again you take that the Ezekiel bit you multiply it by seven and it just so happens they come out of these dates. I don't know about you I think that is utterly breathtaking it's in the word of God you can't deny it now there are a few questions regarding the exact dates I can tell you now from the study I've done I can get it down to within 30 days uh, of being absolutely precise um, but I am I'm, I'm convinced personally that these are to the very day but even if we can only get it within 30 days of over two and a half thousand years i still think that's worthy of attention and i think it tells us that what we're looking at in god's word here really is god's word a god who is outside of time now with all of that I just want to share to, you, share to you something. There's a tool that you can buy called Redshift. It's just not a Christian tool. It's just the astronomy tool. You can show, it totally shows you the position of the sun and the stars and all sorts of things at various times. I, I bought this years ago and I did this thing. You can put in a date and you can put forward a jump in time. You can see there if you start on the 16th of August 587, which is when we believe the desolations began, and You jump forward the 70 years to the day it comes to August 518 BC, when that was the the time the month when Darius signed the decree to allow the temple uh, and so on to be rebuilt. We jump forward again that 907,000 days, uh, 200 days, and that comes to exactly the 7th of June 1967. Uh, This isn't making it up, you can go verify this, uh, and then we do the same with the 606 one, the 24th of July, 606 BC. We jump forward at 70 years again, 25,200 days, exactly 537. We do the same jump again, applying Ezekiel, Leviticus, and comes to the 14th of May, 1948. So leave that with you to ponder. Certainly something to raise in conversation with any non believing uh, friends or family that you may have. Try and find a way of accounting for that, explaining that if the Bible's not true. Okay, let's then jump into Daniel chapter 9, because this is really what we want to get into. Uh, this morning. And we've already looked at the opening uh, se- section of this chapter. Uh, we've seen already the year is 537 BC. The 70 years of captivity in Babylon was now over. Somewhere around 50,000 Jews had returned home. Daniel, now aged around 83 years old, had remained in Babylon. Presumably, he was too old to travel, and uh, he, this was his life now that he's been there for such a long time, but his heart was without question still in Jerusalem he's confused as we said captivity over uh, Jerusalem still lay in ruins so he turns to the prophecies of Jeremiah as we said and uh, realizes this additional period of 70 years uh, specifically for the city and as we've gone through a moment ago we have these two periods the first the servitude and then we have the desolations and again it's that second period of the 70 years uh, that Daniel is starting to understand as we go through this chapter now he sets his heart to pray. This is what we saw last time. And it's probably one of the most impassioned prayers in Scripture. Uh, he quotes almost verbatim Solomon's prayer that he gave in First Chronicles 6, 36 to 39. We looked at that last week. He confesses the sins of his people, intercedes for the city. Uh, again, uh, but partway into the prayer for Jerusalem, Daniel is interrupted. It's not by a knock on the door, but by a visitation from the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel gives this incredible prophecy. Uh, We have four verses. That's all it is. And we have the scope of the prophecy given in the first verse. Then we have what we'll talk about in a moment, 69 weeks uh, in the next verse, verse 25. And then clearly from the text, there is an interval before we get to the last verse. Week or the 70th week in verse 27. So that's the way this prophecy is laid out. So let's go through, let's read it, and then we'll go through and we'll try and make sense of what we have. So it starts 70 weeks. Now we're going to come back to this in a moment and try and explain uh, what exactly that means and why we understand what it is. 70 weeks are determined upon, notice what it says, thy people and upon thy holy city. So this is a prophecy specifically referring to the Jews and Jerusalem. And notice what we're told amongst this prophecy: it's going to finish transgression; it's going to be to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. We're told it's to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and finally to anoint the most holy. Verse twenty-five carries on. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem—that's so the starting point—unto. The Messiah, the Prince. Wow, that's staggering. Because this is a prophecy then that is telling us when the Messiah will come. So we'll look at this. Unto the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be, and we're given a mathematical uh, prophecy here, there shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. You add that together, 62 and seven, 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now, we know that it was troublous times. We'll talk about that in a while. But it was recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah particularly details the troubles they had rebuilding the city once they'd returned from Babylon. So to make it easy, we're given a starting point. There's going to be a command given at some point future from where Daniel is now. And that's going to trigger this period of time. It's going to be 69 weeks. And we'll talk about why I've got years there in a moment. But if you work it out and we'll explain why, it will be 483 years until the Messiah comes. This is incredible. Daniel is being told when the Messiah is going to present himself to the nation of Israel. Now, this has real ramifications because it means that Israel should have known when the Messiah was coming. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Know therefore and understand again that going forth of the command, uh, all these things are going to take place as we've just seen. And notice it will be troublous times. We go to verse six to twenty-six, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. But notice, not for himself. How interesting! The prophecy tells us that when the Messiah comes, he'll be cut off, killed, but it won't be for himself. And then we're told something really interesting: and the people of the prince that shall come. So it tells us two things. One, there is a prince, whoever that is, that's going to come. And that prince will come out of a people, okay, a group of people. And that prince is going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. or Sorry, the people, rather, are going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Uh, so obviously the city of Jerusalem, we clearly understand, and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood is all going to come like a flood unto the end of the war desolations are determined remember this is all about the desolations of jerusalem and so on and then we're told in verse 27 this is the last week and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week okay and in the midst of the week uh, shall he cause the sacrifice and the oblation or the offerings to cease for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate okay lots of words there what does it mean well let's go through and see if we can make sense of this prophecy just four verses but one of the most staggering prophecies in the entire bible okay so firstly we're told 70 weeks so how do we understand it what does that mean is it literal weeks or what do we how do we take this well in Hebrew, uh, the word is actually Shabuim. It's literally weeks of years or 70 weeks of years. So for every year, it's like one day of the week and so on. Uh, so the first year, like a Monday, the second year, like a Tuesday, third year, like a Wednesday. So on. So we have 70 weeks a year. So the whole prophecy is a ni- 490 year old, a 490 span prophecy. That's the, the period of time it's going to cover. Now, it may seem strange. You may think that's a bit contrived, but actually, when we look at the Jews uh, and their way of reckoning things, it's not confusing at all because the Jews, of course, have a week of days. Now, that's all we're familiar with. Seven days, one week. So we're comfortable with that. Of course, the Jews have the same. But the Jews also have a week of weeks, seven weeks. Typically, that would take them from the Feast of First Fruits up to Pentecost. So, there's a, a concept within uh, Judaism that we find. There's also uh, a week of months or seven months. And that's typically their, uh, calendar, their feast or festival calendar. It covers a seven month period. So, we have a week of months, seven months. And then we finally have this week of years. And there's a number of occasions this appears in Scripture. You could think, of course, back in Genesis where Jacob wants to marry Rachel he ends up with Leah and he does this deal with Laban to serve to fulfill her week okay in other words he fulfills seven years in earning Rachel so uh, these are applied we find this a number of times you can see some references there of where this appears in scripture so it may seem a little odd to us but this is the way that it's uh, to be understood so 490 years are determined upon again thy people but we know that's Israel and upon thy holy city, obviously, in regard to Jerusalem. So prophecy for Israel and Jerusalem. And during this period of time, it's going to be we'll see transg- uh, a finish of transgression. It's going to be make an end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision of prophecy and anoint the most holy place or the most holy one. And commentators are divided. And actually, it's kind of irrelevant because it implies the same thing. Has this happened yet? Has it been fulfilled? Well we could certainly question whether transgression has come to an end. I think we'd all say no it hasn't. Has it has an end of sins been made? No because sin still abounds in the world today. What about reconciliation for iniquity? Well we could argue that that has taken place because that was accomplished on the cross but would we say that everlasting righteousness has been brought in? Well certainly not at this stage. And has prophecy and vision been sealed up? Have we come to an end of prophecy? No, not yet. And then to anoint the most holy one or place, has anything taken place that would fit that? Well, no, again, not yet. So clearly a lot of this prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. So let's go through looking at some more of the detail that we give them. Again, the, the next verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, that's our starting point for the prophecy, to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, it's very specific. It's not just any old command. There's various commands we'll mention in a moment. But the command in question was a command to restore and build Jerusalem. And that's from that starting point, unto Messiah the Prince, there's going to be this period of 49 years and another 434, or in total, 483 years. That's the total period of time. So, this command to restore and build Jerusalem, we have that initial seven weeks. 49 years and then 62 weeks or our 432 so the street and the wall we're told are going to be rebuilt again in troublous times and as we said already that's exactly what's recorded for us in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and the 483 years is going to conclude with the coming of the Messiah so every Jew should have known when the Messiah was coming just to make it easy to see on the graph We've got That command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, a period of four hundred and eighty three years now we 'll talk about how specific and how precise it is in a moment, but we understand that that command to restore and build Jerusalem was actually given on the first of nisan four hundred and forty five bc that 's in the Jewish calendar. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes Longimanus, okay, so this is the Persian king, the one that we read about in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, if you remember, the cupbearers for the king goes to the king and he pleads with the king. We'll come to that in a second. In, the, uh, in our calendar, it'll be the 14th of March, 445 BC. Now that date was kind of nailed for us by Sir Robert Anderson. who wrote a fabulous book called The Coming Prince. It's still kind of the standard um, that a lot of scholars will refer to. Um, But these dates now are kind of fixed dates uh, in history. So we've got this period of time. So how many days? Because we've already said that it's specific. Well, let me just remind you of God's reputation that he himself puts out there. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Notice God says there's no one like God. And this is why there's no one like God, because God can declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. God will do whatever he wants he'll do all his pleasure so God says that I am able to declare the end from the beginning tell the future in advance in effect and God says that no one else could do that so let's see if we put God to that test uh, which God clearly says we are able to do and it's right and proper that we do so if we take our 483 years which we've already talked about and we multiply it by 360 days per year now The diligent will immediately say, well, hang on, hang on, because we've got 365 and a quarter days in a year. Yeah, that's true. We do now. But in Scripture, you find that when it's referring to prophecy, always it's reckoned as 360 days in the year. Now, I'm not going to go through them all, but there's a bunch of Scriptures there. You can see where we have prophecies and clearly they are based upon a 360 day year. Now, is it because the Bible got it wrong and it didn't know how many days there were in a year? Hardly. Now, there's a strong, compelling reason to understand that the Earth was once on a 360-day orbit. If you've never heard that before, that's going to seem quite strange. And immediately you are go, no, that can't be true. But actually, all the ancient calendars were based upon 360-day years. And I don't accept for a second that they were ignorant and they didn't know. Because when you look at things like the pyramids and some of the things that were built, we don't know how they did it. They had incredible technology and understanding of the stars and so on. And just to give you some indication, there's some of the uh, calendars that we know historically were based upon a 360 day year. Have you ever asked yourself why we have 360 degrees in a circle? Well, it's because the ancients believed there were 360 days in a year. So they broke it up into this, uh, what's sometimes referred to as the ecliptic, uh, this idea of 360 divisions. And of course, we have 60 minutes uh, in the hour and 60 seconds in a minute, all because of this understanding. Ancient cultures, there was 360 icons uh, in the Gnostic uh, Genie. There were 360 gods in the uh, theology of the Greek Orpheus, again, one for every day of the year. There were 360 idols in the Palace of Dari in Japan, Uh, and this pervades all all cultures. Uh, In the Hobol in Arabia, there were 360 statues uh, that were there uh, and so on. And uh, we could dig into more of these things. But uh, for the sake of time, let's just press on. I think the point's clear. The ancient cultures had this understanding that were 360 days in a year. Even Isaac Newton made this comment. He said, All nations before the just length of the solar year was known, reckoned months by the course of the moon, and years by the return of winter and summer, spring and autumn, and in making calendars for their festivals, they reckoned 30 days to a lunar month, and 12 lunar months to a year, taking the nearest round numbers, whence came the division of the ecliptic into 360 degrees. So there you go. Even Isaac Newton makes this connection and sees why they did this. Now... There's some strange ideas that are out there, but one of the most credible is the idea that actually Earth and Mars used to be on synchronous orbits. Okay, so Earth was on 360 day orbits and Mars twice that of 720. Now, I'm not going to go into all of this. There's some really interesting uh, theories behind this to support it. A lot of good history uh, behind this as well. But the idea is that if this is true, it means on two occasions in the year, in the spring and in the autumn, Mars would come much closer to the Earth than it does today. And all I would simply do is point out to you that all the ancient cultures feared Mars. For you and I, we look up in the night sky and probably most of us wouldn't even know which one was Mars. It's just a little dot out there. But all the ancient cultures feared, feared Mars. Mars was referred to as the god of war. The two moons of Mars were wrote about, uh, written about Over 150 years before they were seen, before the telescope was invented and we could see them with with the telescope. So how did somebody know about them if we couldn't see them? Unless, of course, Mars did indeed pass closer. So it's just an interesting conjecture that I throw out there. Why is this interesting? Well, because all of these things seem to have stabilised in 701 B.C., from that point, we seem to be on our 365 and a quarter day orbit of the sun and Mars uh, was reduced to three, uh, sorry, 687 days. So certainly there was a change, lots of interesting things. But I just throw it out there as a good reason why the Bible uses 360 days in regard to prophecy. So just park that for now. Let's get back into the prophecy itself. So we know that from the going forth of the command, we have this defined period of time to rebuild Jerusalem. Now there were various decrees. Cyrus gave this decree to allow the Jews to return home in five thirty seven. That's recorded in Ezra. Darius also gave a decree in uh, Ezra chapter six. Uh, Xerxes gave a decree in five forty eight. Sorry, four fifty eight BC uh, and then Artaxerxes in 445 and it's that last one that we're interested in because that deals with the street and the wall and so on the Hebrew words are very specific not the city not the temple but specifically the walls and that is what this decree this prophecy that Daniel's given by Gabriel specifically refers to so the only one that fits the bill is this one by Artaxerxes Longimanus 445 BC and uh, we read about uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1 it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes now again we talked about the uh, the way that the Persians and so on calculated their years they had an ascension year and then the first year of their reign was considered as their first full year and so on now you do the math you work this through these are fixed dates historically you can look in encyclopedias and so on so quite clearly when you go through this you realize that the 20th year of Artaxerxes is 445 BC. Some have argued it's 444. That doesn't work for the reasons I've given. So we have our fixed starting point. We know the time frame, 483 years. We now know how many days that is. It's going to be exactly 173,880 days. So let me just again reiterate what this prophecy is saying. It's saying from the point the command is given, Until the time the Messiah comes, there would be this defined period of history 173,880 days, and then the Messiah would come. A very precise, detailed prophecy. Remember, God says that He can tell the future in advance, He can tell the end from the beginning. So, if the Bible really is of God, we would expect God to get this right. And it's for it to be evidence that God really is who He says He is and the Bible really is His Word. Now, Before I come to the conclusion of that, I just want to share with you an anomaly that we have in the New Testament. Now, this is really quite strange. and I'm not going to read through all of these texts, but I just want to show you how many times this occurs. Now, you may have seen this before. You may have not noticed it. You remember when Jesus starts his ministry, there's a wedding at Cana in Galilee and so on. And uh, Mary comes to Jesus because they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, uh, Mary says, Jesus, can you help us out? We've got we've run out of wine. And the words Jesus says are really strange because he replies to Mary, my hour is not yet come. Now, if you're a well-adjusted human being, you probably just ignore that and carry on reading the text in John and don't worry about it. But when we go on, we find in Mark's gospel, a similar thing is said. We find a leper comes to him, he's healed and so on. As a result, Jesus says to him, see thou say nothing to any man. Well, wouldn't you thought that it would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to proclaim who he was? And yet he says, shh, don't say anything. We find the same thing in Mark chapter three. We have this individual, his unclean spirits falls down before him, cries out with the son of God. And notice the response from Jesus. He straightly charged them that they should not make him known. So once again, Jesus says, don't say anything to anybody. And then we go on. And again, in Mark 7, a similar thing. This man who uh, is able to, to speak again, uh, hadn't been able to speak. Uh, we know that his uh, eyes were opened, string of his tongue was loosened, and he spoke plain. And notice Jesus says he charged them that they should tell no man. I mean, this is the worst PR campaign in history because you'd think Jesus would want to promote the fact that he was come, that he was the Messiah. And yet he tells everybody throughout his ministry, after doing these incredible miracles, don't say anything to anyone. Well, another example in Matthew chapter eight, uh, again, leper healed. Jesus said, see, thou will tell no man. We get to Matthew chapter nine. And then we have this again, an individual eyes made uh, are open, a blind uh, a man able to see. And Jesus says, see thou tell, or see that no man know it. All the time, Jesus downplaying who he was. Pharisees went out, had a counsel against him, how they might destroy him. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. And notice what he says to them. You know, not go and publish abroad who I am. Tell the people that I'm the Messiah. But he charged them that they should not make it known. This is really strange. We find again in John's gospel that after the feeding of 5,000, they wanted to come and make him king. But what does Jesus do? Does he allow them to do it? No, he doesn't allow them to do it. In fact, he actually purposely moves away and doesn't allow them to do it. We find that when this uh, young girl is raised from the dead, uh, back this is in Luke chapter 8, uh, her parents were astonished, but he charged them that he should tell no man what was done. And we see this all the way through. Up at Caesarea Philippi, uh, about six months before we get to uh, Passion Week, the events of the cross, Calvary, and so on, Jesus asks Peter the question, uh, you know, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answers, they are the Christ, the son of the living God. But notice what they said, what Jesus says, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. All right, so he says, okay, it's good that you know it, but don't tell anybody. Why was Jesus playing this down? They get to Mount Precipice just outside of Nazareth and they take Jesus to the top there, about to throw him off the top, and it's a sheer drop. And he said he passes through the midst of them. He just walks away. This is an incredible opportunity for them to get rid of Jesus, but seemingly they are unable to touch him. That's a view from the top. It's an incredibly street, steep drop. Just a little nudge push, if they've got into the edge and Jesus would have fallen off. But he just walks through their midst. We find the same thing again and again. Jesus keeps saying, my time is not come. That it wasn't his hour. Again, because his hour was not yet come from John 7, John 8. Again, the same thing. His hour was not yet come. Many, many scriptures. These will all be in the slides. You can go through these at your leisure later and you can check them in scripture yourself. Uh, This is from John 12. Then Jesus answered them saying, wow, hang on. This is a big change, isn't it? Because he says, the hour is come all through his ministry jesus says the hour is not yet come now he says the hour is come he says now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour no he says but for this cause came i unto this hour jesus says this is now the time the reason for which i have come when is jesus saying this at what point well if you look in john's gospel you find that this is the evening when jesus declares this before the day that you and i refer to as palm sunday on palm sunday we read this when he was come nigh even to the mount to uh, the descent of the mount of olives the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the pharisees from among the multitude said unto him master rebuke thy disciples why did they say that because they knew that he was claiming and allowing the people to claim that he was the messiah up until now in his ministry he'd never allowed it but now on this particular day what we refer to as palm sunday as he rides into jerusalem he arranges the whole event he sends the disciples to go and get the donkey and then comes into jerusalem allows them to worship him and when the pharisees tried to rebuke him and say don't let your disciples say that he answered and said unto them i tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And I've shared before with you this stone that I have here is a stone that I uh, happened to acquire from that road from the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem. And this is one of the stones that didn't cry out. I've never heard it sing. didn't need to sing because the disciples did cry out and they did declare that Jesus was the Messiah. And notice what Jesus said. He says, as he comes near the city, he wept over it, saying, if thou had known, even thou at least... In this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Jesus holds the Jews, Israel, accountable for knowing what day this was. He says to them, You should have known this day. This was a very specific, special day. Because you've missed it, blindness is pronounced upon you. They're going to be hid from your eyes. And effectively, Jesus pronounces national blindness on Israel on account that they missed this day jesus carries on and says for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side and it shall and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation notice that last line jesus says you're going to be held accountable blindness is going to come upon you destruction is going to come upon jerusalem Siege is going to be laid against you, and all these things. And the reason is because you missed the day that I came to you. You didn't know the time of your visitation. So, this is all in the Gospels, this is all in the New Testament. We see this. So, with all of this, let's go back to this prophecy that Daniel's being given by Gabriel. As we said, we take our 483 years from that command, which we have a fixed point for. We add our period of 173,880 days. And where does it terminate? Well, you may be not surprised to find out exactly on the 6th of April, AD 32, the very day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem and declares himself the Messiah. The only day in Jesus' ministry that he does it, the only day he allows it to happen on the very day as prophesied five centuries before, recorded by Daniel, that it would take place. This is breathtaking. And as far as I'm concerned, it is undeniable proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Try and think now of an event that's going to occur in 500 years time and then give me some specific details around that event. It's preposterous. We couldn't even imagine, begin to conceive what even the world would be like in 100 years from now. Well, actually, as Christians, we can, because the chances are by that point, the Lord will have returned. But for somebody in the world to try and imagine the future and come up with something like this, it's impossible. And yet here we have it. And of course, the Old Testament we know was translated into Greek uh, and round about. 290, 270 uh, BC, uh, somewhere around that point, the Septuagint version of the Old Testament translated from the Hebrew into the Greek. So we know this prophecy existed way before the fulfillment of it. So there's no doubt, no questioning. This is one of the things that critics hate about the book of Daniel. Now, just want to quickly throw this in for you as well. Uh, it was the 10th day of the month that the Jews were told with their feast of Passover that they had to take a lamb that lamb had to be perfect and on the 14th day of the month they were to kill the lamb in the evening and obviously his blood to be spread on the lintels and the doorposts and anybody who passed in the house through underneath that blood would be safe but when you look at the details of passion week or the week leading up to the crucifixion we find that it is the 10th day of the month was the sunday it was the triumphal entry the very day the jews were to take a lamb The very day Jesus rides into Jerusalem as their Messiah. And they're to keep this lamb until the 14th day. The 14th day, the Passover, is the day that Jesus was crucified. There's an incredible model through scripture. And we haven't got time to go into looking at all the feasts and how they fulfilled. But it really is breathtaking. Other than to say that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us this. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And this is what he says the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What scriptures? Well, Christ died on the feast of Passover according to the scriptures relating to the Passover about a spotless lamb that will be taken on the 10th day and then killed on the 14th and so on. And then he was buried. Okay. Notice that because on the next day, it was where the feast of unleavened bread began. Jesus was buried. As a grain of wheat is put in the ground, it abides alone. Unless it is put in the ground, it abides alone. But then it will bring much fruit, for, for bring forth much fruit, is what Jesus said. And as Jesus was buried, it went into the next day in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish day beginning in the evening. And so we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then finally, and then he rose again the third day. And that, of course, occurs on the Feast of first fruits. So the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of first All really quite, quite remarkable. Well, then we get to the 70 weeks now. We've got these intervals so back into the prophecy in Daniel. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. Well, we know now that after we get Palm Sunday, this is when that clock seemingly stops ticking for the Jews because blindness is pronounced upon them. But so after that point, okay, and we know it was only a few days after, but after that point, the Messiah was indeed cut off, but not for himself. And what a great statement because that's exactly what we're told in scripture that Jesus did not die for himself, but for the sins of the whole world, the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the world. And then we're told this really interesting statement. Uh, Let me just just clarify that again. The cutting off of the Messiah will occur after the 483 years, but before the final seven, which is what I said a moment ago. And then we're told that the people of the prince that shall come. So this is the last part of this prophecy now. It's speaking of uh, the people of the prince that shall come. And notice the people shall destroy the city. So who was it that destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70, which is what Jesus himself had spoken of. Well, we know, of course, it was the Romans. Well, that's really interesting because it tells us that the prince who shall come, who we understand and we'll talk about in a moment, is Antichrist. This prince that shall come will be of the people of Rome because it's the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. So just a bit of deductive logic. We know the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. And so the prince that comes has to come of that people from within somehow the old Roman Empire, which today covers most of Europe, North Africa, Iran, Iraq, and so on. Now, after the 483 years, just to clarify, before the final seven years the is to be cut off, the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed, and we're told that until the end, desolations will continue. Well, that's exactly what the Jews have experienced for the last 2,000 years. And then we're told that a prince will come who will be of those who will destroy the cities. So that prince will come from Rome. Just to lay it out for you, we've had our first 69 weeks uh, of years, which were terminated at the point Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We have this interval period of which we are in right now, and we're waiting for the 70th week to commence. And this is why this prophecy is so important to us. Of course, Jesus was crucified, the temple was destroyed and all these things took place in that interval and the whole church age is sat in that interval period. And that leads us on to the last verse of the prophecy and the final week uh, that is detailed for us by Gabriel that Daniel records. And we're told, and he, who's the he? It has to be the prince that is going to come. This is the one that you and I typically refer to as Antichrist. It's not necessarily the best name for him because there's a lot of titles given to this individual in Scripture. But it's the one that probably we're most familiar with. He shall confirm the covenant or ratify some sort of agreement with many for one week. Now, we know this has to include the Jews because it's specifically a prophecy for the Jews. But this agreement is going to be confirmed with many So I would suggest to you this is in reference to those that are surrounding Israel, their neighboring nations, what we have been striving for, the the governments of this world for many years to bring about peace in the Middle East. And we're told that this individual will step onto the world scene and he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, we've already seen that week is a period of seven years. Okay. in the midst of the week, notice what we're told he's going to do. He's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, that means that the Jews have got to be sacrificing again if he's going to cause it to stop. It means he's going to allow it. But then after three and a half years, in the middle of that seven years, he's going to cause that sacrificing to cease. Now, that's interesting because if the Jews are sacrificing, it means they must have a place to sacrifice. They must have a temple, a rebuilt temple. This is why Christians believe that the temple will be rebuilt at any time now. And there's all sorts of interesting things, murmurings on the horizon about how that might happen, how the Muslims might allow a temple to be built, even a temple that's going to be a multi-faith temple. There's been ideas even in the last month that have been talked about. All sorts of things, all sorts of possibilities. At This time it's speculation. What we do know from this scripture is a temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, and it will be a place where Israel will once again be allowed to offer their sacrifices. This individual then come who's going to allow it? He's going to ratify an agreement, confirm a covenant. But in the middle of that period of time, he's going to stop it. This is exactly what happened. If you remember, we looked in chapter seven and chapter eight of Daniel, the prophecy regarding Antiochus Epiphanes. There's already been a dress rehearsal for this that has taken place historically. Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, did exactly this uh, this uh, Seleucid ruler ended up uh sacrificing a pig on the altar and jesus himself spoke about the abomination of desolation referred to by daniel the prophet well this is the portion we're reading and of course there's been a dress rehearsal for this already so let me just clarify again he the prince that is coming will confirm a covenant for seven years Again, detailed in Revelation 7, uh, sorry, uh, Daniel 7, Revelation 6, Revelation 13, and so on. Midway through that seven years, this prince who's going to come is going to stop the Jews sacrificing. Uh, Jesus referred to this in Matthew 24, as I mentioned a moment ago, and the Jews are going to be in for a rough ride. That's really the summary of what we've just read there. So we look at this again, we've got that first period, 69 weeks of years that terminated with the uh, triumphal entry uh, on the 10th of Nisan, 32 AD in the Jewish calendar. That leaves us into our interval period where the crucifixion took place, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and what we refer to now as the Church Age. Okay, that then will culminate with this 70th week now in truth the church may well be taken out of here before the 70th week begins it's not prerequisite uh, we don't have to wait till the 70th week for us to be taken the bible says that the church could be taken at any time but that 70th week at some point will begin and will commence the clock ticking with israel once again the temple will be rebuilt either before or during or somehow but certainly by the beginning of this 70th week the sacrificing will be allowed to recommence by the Jews in Jerusalem. I believe the rapture will occur in advance of this. And then the second coming will actually bring these events to a close. So hopefully that gives you some sort of clarity of when these things and how these things will play out. Of course, the first part of prophecy was dealing with Daniel's people, the Jews in his city, Jerusalem, exactly what was told. And so will the last part. The middle part is the church age. That's the part where Israel have been blinded, is what Paul tells us in the New Testament in the book of Romans. Now, that brings us to an end of the, the, the study. I just want to throw something else in here because it's so fascinating and I won't go into it in depth, but I'll let you take it away and look at it at your leisure. Israel really are God's timepiece do you remember in the new testament peter comes up to jesus and asks him a question he says yeah, how often do i do i forgive my brother now there's a lot of misunderstanding and uh, poor commentaries ra- ra- surrounding this peter says until seven times now most people miss something really important peter says until seven times He's talking about a specifically defined period. Now, to you and I, that seems strange, but to a Jew, that was absolutely normal because seven times seven is 49, and then the Jubilee. The Jubilee was when the Jews were to write off and forgive, write off all the debts and forgive people. Peter is not just randomly giving a number. He's saying to Jesus, should I forgive until the Jubilee? It's a proper Jewish question. You dig into it, you'll find out. I do a whole study on this, we've done it sometimes in the past, but that's exactly what Peter's asking. But Jesus doesn't say, No, forgive until the Jubilee, not until seven times, okay, but until 70 times seven. You'll be familiar, I'm sure, that we've already looked at this now. 70 times seven is 490. Jesus says, No, don't forgive until the Jubilee. In my kingdom, you are to forgive until 70 times seven, or literally until the 490 we've just looked at what the 490 is until the kingdom comes until jesus returns establishes his kingdom his rule and his reign let me just take you through this very quickly abraham to the exodus okay we have 75 years of the promise The genesis 12 is given we add 430 years that we know from that point onwards that god says specifically gives us a total of 505 years But we know that because of the situation with Ishmael, Abraham was effectively out of God's will for that period of time, as he allowed the flesh to to dictate. You do the maths, 505 years, and you take away that 15, the period of time that God dealt with Israel from Abraham to the Exodus was exactly 490 years. Well, that's quite interesting. But then if we go from the Exodus to the temple, we're given the details in Scripture. Well, you know, it's 594 years. OK, it was another seven years for it to be completed. It gives us 601 years. But then in the book of Judges, we're given specifically 111 years where Israel were out of the will of God. They were God allowed the other nations to put them under servitude. When well, you do the maths and you take away 111, 601. You have a period of 490 years. And then we go from the temple so the edict of artaxerxes okay from solomon's time now we got uh we know that was 1005 bc that occurred okay nehemiah gives us that point that that edict was given we talked about that earlier on uh in uh, 445 bc we have a period of 560 years but then we've got the babylonian captivity that we need to factor in where israel were out of god's will under servitude because of disobedience so we do the mass, and once again we have a period of 490 years and then finally the one that we've looked at this morning the period from 445 BC to the first advent was 483 years okay that's the period we've looked at up until Palm Sunday from that command that was given to restore and build Jerusalem but then we were in this interval at the moment that we refer to as the church age where again Paul says in the book of Romans Israel's eyes have been blinded And then we take the 70th week, the year, the the week, the seven years that are yet to come. We add that to our 483 years, the 70 week prophecy of Daniel that we've been speaking about this morning. Again, a total period of 490 years. God really is in complete control of history. God has got a purpose for the Jews and God has got a purpose for you and I and calls us to be obedient to serve him to love him to trust him and you can see why we really can trust his word because it is breathtaking i hope that's been a blessing and encouragement to you this morning let's pray father we just thank you this morning for this opportunity lord we just pray uh, that you impress the reality that your word really is inspired inerrant infallible it is your word to us and lord we can learn and grow and be edified through your word it is living and powerful oh father we thank you for this time bless us encourage us lord look after our loved ones that don't know you bring them to you by your grace we pray and keep us growing in that knowledge and grace that we may serve you in these days that remain we ask it in jesus name amen